Hey, Amelia. Hey, Lainey. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Good. I'm excited to start this finale episode for Murder at Land Between the Legs. I can't believe it. I was just looking at the calendar and we dropped our first episode almost a year ago today on October 10th, 2019. I know. It's amazing. I can't believe it's almost been exactly a year that we put this together and coming up with this entire podcast. I mean, what it's become, what it started when we started with and what it's become, um, how it you know came to fruition and everything has become in one year. It's absolutely been amazing. So, you know, I want to thank you, first of all, for, you know, hanging in there with me through all of this. It's been amazing. You've been an amazing um, teammate and co-host. It's just been an incredible journey, you know, so this has been so much fun. So thank you for being with me in this journey. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't have it any other way. This has been an amazing, amazing journey. And you have just really inspired me with your enthusiasm and dedication to really helping find justice, especially in this case, but in all cold cases. I, um, I thought maybe we could start too, Amelia, with like how we actually started the idea for this podcast. Like, why did we do that first episode? Well, you know, as you know, we wanted to be a voice for Carla and Vicky and finding out about this case was heartbreaking enough. And, you know, it, it was very interesting. I mean, I know we've said it over and over, but we didn't intend to investigate this case. And we really just thought, we'll tell the story. We'll let the townspeople of Dover, Tennessee, tell the story. And it was just overwhelming how everyone started speaking to us. You know, it wasn't what we thought it would be. And I am just blown away at how it started. You know, we started getting reviews back, you know, later on, you know, how we had music in the background. It was distracting and, you know, all the growing pains that came along with a podcast. So, you know, it's fun to like go back and listen and it's, you know, it was still, you know, great information and the input was great, but learning as we, you know, as we were going along, you know, we were still new. We were fresh at this. We had never done a podcast. And so literally learning as we go, recording from our phones, you know, learning, you know, sometimes recording from our car and, you know, (laughs) I don't know. It's been amazing, you know, how we've grown from this. But like you said, why we wanted to do this was to be a voice for Carla and Vicky. And we wanted to just get it out there any way we could, no matter how it sounded or how it came out. But the information is what was most important. Yeah. And one of the things that I remember when we were sitting at Starbucks, Amelia, is you were so blown away by the details of this case. And it happened so close to where you grew up and you had never heard of it. It was one of those things that seemed to not be super well known, except in very small circles. Um, and you know what? Another thing I will say was amazing, which really, I think, changed the whole trajectory of our podcast, was that you were able to launch our Facebook page prior to dropping our first episode. So we actually launched our Facebook page a year ago on September 26th, and it now has 1,700 followers. But that Facebook page has been critical to help keep the lines of communication going both ways between us and between all of our listeners and all of the community members in Dover. And it really was, I think, the source 
of the first back and forth communication that we started having with our listeners and was just really an amazing resource um, and super just helping us to be able to communicate information in between episodes. And um, it really did give us a connection with the community immediately. You know, it, it was, you know, because when you, you hear things, right. But it's always nice to put a, a face to things and see pictures as well. So it's kind of like things sometimes are tangible as well. So when you can hear it and then see it, uh, sometimes things make more sense. And, you know, you feel things more when you can see a picture. You can see their faces. You can see the family's faces. Um, sometimes you can, you can, you know that people feel that more. And so it was really good to know that we could use that also as a tool. And the shares that we were getting as well, you know, people were communicating on there. But not just that. People were sharing every post that we would put on there. And that was making, you know, waves across the country as well. So every post we put on there, people were sharing it left and right. So you would follow those trails and then you would just start to see like, how many people were starting to see their story. Mm -hmm. And then I think that actually then drove more and more interest to listen to what was going on in the case and the story of Carla and Vicky via our podcast. Did you have the latest stats on, um, on how our podcast is doing? So, yeah, I mean, as of today, we've had over, you know, 70,000 listens in over 58 countries. And, you know, and wow. just, you know, with our, you know, our final three episodes, you know, with the 40 years later, you know, we dropped the YouTube channel, the, you know, the webinar or the webcast, uh, those final three episodes, we had over, you know, 2,600 views on that. And with those three episodes, we had four, over 4,000 listens on that. So, that alone tells you that this story of these girls is being heard, you know, around the world. So Carla and Vicky's story is not, it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. And you know, one of the most um, interesting and I guess surprising scenarios from our starting of the podcast and starting to really create this groundswell of listenership that also is communicating any information back to us is that we started to get calls to be interviewed by certain folks like the Tennessee Underground, Levi Page, WPSD, the Cold Truth Podcast with Mel Roberts, um, Dennis Ferrier, and Fox News out of Nashville. It was really taking off with regards to people hearing the story, people hearing about the podcast, wanting to hear more information and sharing it with their listener bases. So that actually gave us <laughs> an opportunity to work very diligently and for a long time to prepare ourselves for those conversations. <laughs> with no kidding. And, you know, preparing for those interviews was, you know, that was a lot of fun. Actually, we had a really fun time as, as actually our listeners heard us preparing in the car as we, um, did some of that. But I mean, we had a great time like interviewing with Jim Leach and Steve Bowers on Tennessee Underground. And those are some relationships we've developed over time. And these are people that can really help us help Carla and Vicki and the, and the family tell these stories. And Levi Page is from Dover, Tennessee. I mean, that those are his stomping grounds. And he remembers, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, his family remembers these murders really well. And, you know, Mel Roberts from Cold Truth Podcast, we connected with Mel 
um, that story, you know, the story she tells on her podcast is about Shannon Poff, an 11 year old that was murdered in Prattville, Alabama. And we connected with her because there's so many similarities in those murders of the, you know, the young girls, you know, in the, t- in the trailer parts. So it's just been amazing how many people have connected with us through the podcast. And, you know, in talking about like these interviews and how the girl stories are just being told over and over now. And again, this is not going away. No, it's not. And, you know, one of the things that we did early on, Amelia, which, um, you know, originally we were going to talk about the story and we wanted to get Carla and Vicky's story out there so people were aware. And I think the next step in the process for us was like, there's so much more that we can do here, which we didn't really understand or fully realize at the outset of our podcast. But understanding that awareness is just the first step we started to really dig into the what is the second step like what else can we do to help bring this case to closure to help this community understand what happened that fateful day in September in 1980 and really focusing in on how to solve this case today versus like the previous 39 years was DNA. And in December, we launched that petition. Do you remember that, Amelia? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, you actually created that petition and launched that in order for us to focus on moving this case forward with pushing DNA evidence testing, which was amazing. And we received over, I think, 1,200, maybe more signatures on that petition and was really a great opportunity to start to focus our efforts on how we can make an actionable difference in this whole process. And honestly, DNA testing from 1980, which it did not even exist or exist really on a broad scale to, to now is light years different. So even five years ago to now, DNA testing has changed so significantly that this has been such a a great opportunity for us to focus in on where, where can we push in order to try to find who was the culprit for these gruesome murders. Right. And, you know, it was decent, like you said, it was December when it was like the time it was time to have a conversation about what was next. I mean, we had told the story um, from what we could tell and what, what was next. I mean, we had a platform now and a lot of people were listening, like, what else could we do? And we knew DNA was out there. We knew how important it was. I mean, there were people like Cece Moore was out there. She was solving cases left and right. We were putting them on Facebook, like these cold cases that were years old, decades old, being solved left and right, 40 years old, 50 years old. And why are all these cases getting solved? Why can't Carl and Vicky's case be one of those statistics as well? And so, you know, you know, people are watching all this happen. You know, there was, um, you know, all these books are being written, written and all these shows are being documented. And Cece Moore had her own show out, Genetic Detective. And, you know, the, the Golden State Killer was caught with DNA. Why, you know, mm-hmm. why can't Carl and Vicky be the, one of them as well? Yeah, no. And in, in March, you remember we did that episode um, called Let's Talk About DNA to really dive into 
where we see the DNA testing process being right now and how that could really benefit our case. Right. Yeah, I know. We, t- we put a whole episode out about DNA and trying to understand more about it and what evidence is left. I mean, we talked about possibly evidence being missing, missing in this case and what evidence is left and can there be DNA and who's available to do that and who can do that. So um, we can talk about where we are today. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, um, it's definitely amazing how DNA testing has in, increased and improved. And honestly, I, um, you know, when I think about this case specifically, I just hope and pray that anybody that saw the girls that day would reach out and just give us any more information. If they have any more information about their activities that day or just seeing them that day, um, just so we know that we were there, that they were there. Cause I would think, um, and I, I don't know a hundred percent, but I would think that there's a possibility there's a lot of DNA that could be mixed up in the evidence um, just because they may have seen somebody that day. Right. Well, we should backtrack for a second and talk about the breaking news that was announced in the Stewart County standard that Danny Peppers broke um, just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, on September 22nd, um, or actually, you know, let's go back a few, three weeks ago during this three week period of when the girls went missing 40, you know, during this 40 year um, anniversary period, Danny Peppers, the owner and editor of the standard Stewart County standard, he did a three week series and um, his second article, he wrote a whole series. It was titled, um, Could There Be a Killer Among Us? DA looking at persons from area. DNA profile being worked on in 40-year-old LBL murder case. I mean, that was breaking news to everyone involved. So the article goes on to talk about that District Attorney Ray Crouch um, had, I'll just quote it, actually. He says, I feel like it was somebody from the area and we now have a pool of about three or four people we are highly interested in. He also said funding was approved to use a private DNA laboratory. We have sent all scientific supporting data the TBA has gathered from testing to a lab with more capabilities than the TBI, that the TBI, ha- than the TBI has. They will be able to identify items to possibly develop a DNA profile from which would be a game changer in this case. So what a DNA profile means, Lainey, is that they will take the evidence, pull DNA out at this laboratory, this private laboratory that, that General Crouch hand-delivered this evidence himself. I know that for a fact that he delivered this evidence, chain of custody, he signed it over. It was hand-delivered to this laboratory, one of the top labs in the country. And this lab will pull the evidence, pull DNA from the evidence. They have a 100% success rate on pulling DNA. Now, what that means when you pull a DNA profile, that DNA profile also helps eliminate people. So they will obviously find Carla and Vicky's DNA. What else it will find is DNA of anybody that had possibly been around them. So I'm telling you, Lainey, if I had been around the girls within the last 24 hours, 
I would want to make sure I spoke up because I would want to make sure I am not in a cluster of someone that's being investigated because they, General Ray Crouch has gone from a pool of 30 people to a pool of three to four people of interest now. Mm. You know what that makes me think of, Amelia, is all the people. I'm just thinking of our, our early on episodes and the episodes where we've gone through meticulously the timeline or the details that we know of that day. Mm-hmm. And we know with certainty, pretty, pretty certain, that the girls had at least been around their brother, Randy, and Randall Riggins, um, potentially Bobby Morgan, because they saw them before they went to the courthouse that mm-hmm. day. And they potentially were cited with Randall Riggins later on that day. Um, you would think even just there, there might be some DNA from people that they interacted with that day who may not have even been involved in the murders, or they may have been. I, I'm not. I'm not saying one way or the other, but. But yeah, I see what you're saying. There could be multiple options of P- of DNA that's pulled from the evidence that they have. In right. That's how fast DNA will transfer. A hug, a, um, just standing next to someone, saying goodbyes to someone, that DNA will transfer. Mm-hmm. I feel like we know more about how DNA transfers than we know about how the coronavirus <laughs> that's a That's a very good point. Yes. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm just trying to think even if the girls, you know, wore a shirt two days in a row, like what if, you know, I don't even know, but like, if you saw the girls that day, you want to come forward and tell that you saw the girls that day and who you saw them with. Yeah. And you can reach out to us and give us any information. You can call 1-800-TBI-FIND. Um, you know, we're always happy to keep any, any information anonymous that we receive as we, as we talk through any information with anyone, but, um, but definitely now's the time I feel like we're on the cusp and you know what? I have to say, I think all, I thank, (laughs) I think, thank all of our listeners and all of the folks who signed the petition to test the DNA. It's really the groundswell of support that's helped to get everyone motivated to be at the point we are today and having the DNA tested as we speak. And I also want to say thank you, not think again, but thank you to, you know, everyone in that community. There's a group of people there and they all know who they are. I obviously won't say anyone by name um, that, you know, it's called, again, we've talked about this word over and over. I've used it from the beginning, crowdsourcing. The crowdsourcing is what helps solve these cold cases. I mean, there's little evidence in these old cases, like there's little evidence to support these types of things. So you have to crowdsource what you know and you have to put it together and you have to just work with circumstantial things and crowdsource and you have to talk to each other and you have to work with each other and you have to talk and you have to get people to speak up. So I want to thank Mm -hmm. all of these people that have been boots on the ground for us there in Dover while we're here in New Jersey. Yeah. That reminds me. Do you remember when we took that trip to Dover, Amelia? Of course I do. <clears throat> that was really not I I don't want to say 
eye-opening, but I want to say heart-opening because we knew the details and we had been really nose deep in this research for so long. And then going to Dover and the warm welcome that we received at the welcome center and then from the community and from the family and being able to actually retrace the girl's steps that day and take video from what it looks like today in 2019 2020, sorry, (laughs) versus 1980 was just really uh, probably the, the time that I felt the most connected to the girls by seeing that in person. Absolutely. Like standing there, like where possibly, I, I think I've said this in another episode when we talked about our trip to Dover, that episode, I remember standing in the, what was the furnace at the time. And I think that was the most profound moment for me. Um, I think was just thinking about, wow, I'm, I could possibly be standing right where Carl and Vicky were standing. I don't know. I don't know if that sounds weird, but um, I just remember thinking this is really, I, I just, that was a moment for me. That was a moment for me. I felt more um, in tune with the girls. Yeah, no, that was such a special trip. And again, like you said, the community there was just so embracing and also just really, really hopeful. And I feel like that also inspired our hope to continue to focus on pushing this case forward. Absolutely. And, you know, in talking about the community, I think, you know, the community more than anybody, I mean, other than the family, of course, wants this case solved. I mean, like the headline reads, could there be a killer walking among us? I mean, could there be a killer among us? I, the community doesn't know. Is there a killer walking among them? I mean, is there a killer there? I mean, is there someone in their family? Who knows? You know, if this person is still living. I mean, I couldn't imagine like living in this small town and not knowing who killed these two girls. So I know, I know it was actually really um, challenging for us because the 40th anniversary or, you know, 40 years since this has passed and the vigil just took place um, on October 4th. And we weren't able to go because of the whole situation with the coronavirus and travel. Um, But from everything that we have learned, that was just a really monumental and special occasion. Right. And that's where I was going to go. Like at the visitor center, they had the best turnout they've had for a vigil. And, you know, there was a a great turnout. You know, they had a, you know, great guest speakers. Um, Mitchell Allen spoke. He great, gave a great prayer and Mitchell Allen, who I think I've mentioned before was best friends with Hugh Allen Heflin. Um, He's such a great guy. I've spoken with him several times before. And he led, he led the group in prayer for the vigil. And, you know, Mayor mm-hmm. Robin Brandon um, of Stewart County spoke. And it, it was very inspiring to everyone. He was also, he's also a family member to Carl and Vicki. And then that's also, uh, you know, District Attorney General Ray Crouch was there. And that's when he spoke to the crowd as well. And he was, I think he was very, you know, inspiring to everyone. He told everyone where this case was going. And he would let the family know what he was doing next. And he himself and um, TBI agent Zach Burkhart were leaving the next day, which would be October 5th, the day, 40 years to the day the girls were found. 
to deliver this evidence. They were flying down south, down, down to Florida to deliver this evidence and hand it over, the chain of custody, handing it over and signing out this evidence. So they announced that to the crowd. And I don't know if everyone understands the scope of that, like what a big deal that is. Um, I sure do, especially, I, and I think a lot of our listeners do too, if they've been listening all along and they understand how important DNA is to solving a crime that happened so long ago, you know? Right. And, you know, to understand like how important, like what evidence is left and to sign that over, mm-hmm. that's, that's what's left, you know? Um, yeah. Especially when we've talked about questionable evidence handling in the past and some of it going missing, yeah. right? <laughs> but, you know, let's talk about actually what all happened during this three weeks. I mean, this was a very special three weeks. It was monumental um, 40 years later. So, I mean, we did a three episode series. We had some great special guests come on. Um, gosh, I'm scared to name them all because I'm scared I'll leave someone out. But we, you know, yeah. Denny Peppers was a great guest, Mayor Brandon. We had Ruby Wooten on who was um, best friends with Carla. And that was a, you know, a very heartfelt interview. Um, mm-hmm. Dennis, Dennis Farrier, who's always a crowd pleaser. A who, who doesn't love yeah. Dennis Farrier? <laughs> Um, yeah, we had Trish Gordon, who was amazing, the girl's sister, who just, I mean, brings tears to my eyes when I, when I hear her talk about her family and, and how much they are still passionate about bringing justice to for Carla and Vicky and for the community in this well, case. And then to quote Trish Gordon, she said, put your faith before fear. Um, that. I I get choked up when I think about it, actually, because we all know that that entire town has kept silent for some reason. So if it's fear that's kept everyone quiet, we know it's been 40 years. So why else would anyone else keep quiet? So I think it's time for everyone to embrace those words and tell it's time to speak up. It's, you know, it's been 40 years. So if there is something, you know, I, I think you should embrace those words that, you know, quoted by Trish Gordon. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. And, and you know what, to, to round off our, our family interviews, we actually had such an emotional conversation with Michelle Steely Seals and she, her dedication to this case and really for, for the love of her family and for her mother was just heart-wrenching you know michelle was um you know she was responsible for leading the vigil she um put the whole thing together and she put this amazing um just this beautiful thing together was music um michelle is just you know heart of gold and an amazing person so you're right that was another gut-wrenching interview that was hard to get through Mm -hmm. as well because she's such a beautiful person as well Yes, and I know that this this vigil was just amazing because there were so many different new items unveiled. And one of those was a proclamation by Mayor Brandon. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah. So Mayor, uh, Stewart County Mayor Robin Brandon proclaimed September 17th as a day of remembrance for Vicki Stout and Carla Atkins and uh, September 17th, 2020. Um, mm-hmm. 
which I think was, and I'm, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful memorial for the girls. I mean, can you imagine like <laughs> you're a family member and the, there's a day named after your sisters or your, your family member? I mean, I don't know. That was a, an amazing a tribute by Mayor Robin Brandon. Yes. No, it really, really, truly was. And then there's also now a beautiful cross that marks the entrance to where the girls were just right of Highway 79. So there is a, a, a memorial or monument, if you will, um, right next to the highway to have that also as a remembrance of the girls. Yeah, that's there now. I don't know, you know, if that, how long that'll stay, but that's, you know, that is still there for now. Um, it's very beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and also like we already said before, there was a new segment that went out um, out of um, Paducah, uh, Channel 6 WPSD, uh, News Channel 6 with Thomas Katz, uh, Laney and I. Uh, we're on that interview as well as Mayor Robin Brandon. I know Thomas Caps went down to Dover and they filmed there. I think it was a rainy day. I saw them filming there. And um, again, they, they, you know, it's just getting coverage. You know, it's getting coverage out of Kentucky. And, you know, mm -hmm. they're all wanting to film and cover this story now. So it's, 40 years is a big, you know, big mark in this case. Yeah, it totally is. And if anyone listening is interested in going and checking out these segments or um, the interviews that we've mentioned today in this episode, they are all listed on our Facebook page. Um, so you can go there and scroll through and find the, the links to these segments so you can watch them in their entirety and really see how the information has unfolded from the time that we did, I think, our first interview in February through yeah, and I, I know we talked about Danny Peppers um, earlier, and we talked, you know, about him being in our um, three-part um, webcast and podcast episodes. But he also did an amazing, you know, three-part series in his um, newspaper, the Stewart County Standard. And you know, I'll just tell you the titles of the three of them. They were all, you know, all three of them were cover stories. So each week, um, the first one was titled um, "40-Year Anniversary of Sisters' Unsolved Murder in LBL." new podcast starts September 17th. And uh, that's referencing the three-part series that we did. And then the second um, newspaper article said, could there be a killer among us? DA looking at persons from area. DNA profile being worked on in 40-year-old LBL murder case. And again, to remind you, that story that he broke was literally the breaking story of everyone finding out about the DNA uh, being going to be tested. And then, of course, the third story that he did was uh, the vigil held for 40th anniversary of LBL murders. And that story, mm -hmm. you know, featured some pictures from the vigil. Um, it had um, Trish Gordon and Deb Singleton, um, both of the sisters of the girls with, the, you know, T-shirts on, Remembrance T-shirts on. And, you know, there was music at the event. And, um, you know, again, there was a cake and, you know, it was, a, it was just a really nice event for many people in the community. Yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. I really wish, Amelia, you and I could have been there. We're definitely um, there in spirit. And, and you know what? I would say we would be there next year, but my hope is that by next year, we've actually identified who has who is responsible for well, these crimes. Hopefully next year, like you just said, we're at a court case instead. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Now, again, I, I want to call out to anybody that's listening, you know, if you have any information 
and you haven't been comfortable sharing it before, or you didn't think it was important or relevant, we would love to hear from anyone, anyone who was in Dover, Tennessee on September 17th, 1980. And if you had interaction with the girls that day, even better. But just to be able to get a picture of what was happening in Dover, Tennessee that day, Amelia and I would love to hear more from folks who were in town. I mean, as you had said um, about the Danny Peppers article and how the DA is looking at persons of interest from the area, you know, Dover's only about, you know, was then and is now a population of roughly 1,500 people. So I feel like there are definitely folks out there who might be able to recall details from that day. If there was something that sparked their memory, they might be able to remember an interaction with the girls if they saw them at the IGA or the furnace. Um, We would love to hear from you just to try to continue to put the puzzle pieces together for ourselves and for the family and for Um, law enforcement who's actively and diligently working to bring this to closure. You just nailed it, Lainey. I mean, it's a small town. So going from 30 suspects to three or four, I mean, I think, you know, I think this case is like getting down to the wire. So I think somebody knows something in that town. So I think you really just hit the nail on the head. Yep. No. So hopefully we'll be able to share more as we wrap up season one and we launch season two in the upcoming future. That's a wrap. Yay. Well, thank you all. And we look forward to bringing you new and updated information in season two. like they need Starbucks and they don't pump gas. He's like, these girls are highly What are they doing trying to solve a murder? Um, okay, so it's that way. Okay. Go out the way we came in. Or go to this light and take a left. <laughs> I'm here to take a left? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Wait, 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 wait. Stay in this lane right here. Right here? Yeah. Um, no, 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 wait. Okay, yeah, take a left. There we go. That's perfect. I'm getting the sense that there might not be a Starbucks in Dover. (laughs) Right? There's not a Starbucks in Dover. (laughs) You were correct. Thank you to all of our listeners. This has been Season 1 of Murder at Land Between the Lakes. Stay tuned for Season 2. This has been a Discrepancy Podcast production. Hosted by Amelia Courtney and Lainey Sullivan. If you or anyone you know has any information pertaining to this case, please call 1-800-TBI-FIND. That's 1-800-824-3463. Or you can call Amelia and Lainey at 609-429-0371. If you or anyone you know was around Dover, Tennessee, September 17th, 1980, your information could be very important if you saw anything that involves Carla Atkins and Vicki Stout. Thank you.